My name is Dr. Josephine Palermo, and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today, my co-host, Dr. Ian Butterworth, and I discuss some of the things that are on our minds as the year draws to a close, our questions, obsessions, and our New Year resolutions. We meander great distances from discussing AI and digital consciousness to the rise of the young brash entrepreneur, to social injustices, psychedelics, and of course, what we're grateful for. It's a whirlwind, but we had so much fun recording this for you. Great to see you today. Thank you, Josie. Uh, how am I? Uh, you know when you leave a coffee pot on the stove and all the mm -hmm. coffee's come out, um, but it's still making that sort of gurgling noise and the steam yeah. coming out? Yeah. That's me at the moment. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Is it a good blend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an image. You know, it's a, it's, it, I just feel like this time of year is always a bit crazy, but this year in particular I'm almost in denial because – it's a week to Christmas and I have done nothing about Christmas. I've done, it's crazy. Nothing's been, yep. you know, locked in. I don't know what that's about for me, but it's, I think I'm in denial. I think I'm in denial. Uh-huh. Um, maybe you could set up a Christmas tree and then set light to it. Oh, uh, that, I, that sort exactly. Of that, that's 2022. <laughs> that's 2022. So I thought today we could talk <laughs> about just some things that are on our minds because I know that um, I love the way your mind works, Ian. So I always I know that there are some things that are always on your mind. So so that's the question I'm going to ask you. What's on your mind, Ian? Right now. Um, my brain has been exploded by connecting with some amazing people recently that found me via LinkedIn who are innovators and startup people who are totally across this whole brave new world of the digital metaverse, for want of a better term. So this week I've had a crash course on G... GPT-3, uh, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. What? I've been yeah, I've been exposed to um, DAOs, and I thought they were talking about Chinese philosophy, but in fact, a DAO <laughs> is a decentralized autonomous organization, which is a group organized around a mission that coordinates through a series of shared rules enforced on a blockchain which has huge implications for organizational development because it's actually about a decentralized, democratically owned organization where all the decisions are available to anybody. Um, and it's all, it's all around creating innovative startups that solve challenging social issues and generate capital, social capital, intellectual capital, financial capital and I guess virtual capital. Um, Can I just ask a question yeah. though? What was that acronym? Because I have no idea what that is. So can you just explain that to me? That, that The Decentralised Autonomous Organisation, the DAO? No, the one before. The one before. Um, in the meeting I went to yesterday, my colleague whose brain, I swear, is 50% AI, he... He typed in stuff onto a screen. And listen, I think what's on my mind is I feel like 
I feel like something that's come out of a cave from 1950 and I've sort of been exposed to this world that's happening all around me that I hadn't quite fully realised. Um, so using this generative pre-trained transformer, GPT, it's an emerging form of artificial intelligence where you can go online into sites such as openai.com and you can type in any challenging question or command and it goes into the cloud tapping into all the knowledge that's ever been uploaded and using AI methodology or technology or whatever to get to come up with answers. So, I mean, it's almost like if you, let's say you had an essay that was due in 10 minutes, <laughs> technically you could pump in a question like, what's the relationship between, I don't know, climate change and... Um, uh, the number of trees growing in Canada and it would probably come up with something that looked at face value highly intelligent. So, it, but um, the different and the, and I imagine the difference between that and just doing a Google search is that it's it's actually, um, you know, curating content for you. So it's curating yeah, content. Yeah, that's yeah, really in a clever. way in a way that in a way that's accessible to you. So yes, yeah. So during the meeting yesterday, I said to the. I said to the group, my brain's exploding. And um, <laughs> Stephen typed into this AI, open AI. He said, generate some code that shows Ian's brain exploding. And it generated this whole um, um, script, um, JavaScript or whatever, that actually generates the program that you could upload somewhere that, that gives a geographical representation. It's like um, apparently there's now forms of AI emerging where people are using it to generate art and um, people's yes. avatars on on Google or uh, sorry avatars on um, social media are being created by AI, which apparently is incredibly interesting. But it's all having considerable uh, implications for. I guess, organisational development, for governance. I mean, the idea of a kid saying that a dog ate their homework, I mean, I think those days are almost over because a gener an AI generator could produce your homework for you. And so where I go to that, though, is what are the inherent biases in that? Oh. In that because AI is only as good as... as the teacher, you know, in, in terms of the inputs that you give the AI. And we know that we live in a, in a very biased world and that a lot of our heuristics are very biased towards certain people to, to advantage certain people. And so that's what worries me, I think, about about this not although not to say that human beings themselves don't have those don't make those assumptions and make those mistakes in thinking anyway. But it just worries me that um, that, you know, I, I'd like I'd like to understand that just from a just from a philosophical perspective. You know, oh, what God, are the yeah. ethics around that? And I know that there are some people writing about that and talking about that. I mean, if we end up being forced to take on a worldview that's Elon Musk's, I think I'll just cancel my internet subscription. I think um, I will too. I'll join you. We'll just go and plant mm -hmm. plants. Oh yeah, there are. Herbs. I mean, whose world are we inheriting? Is the world of white 23-year-old geeks from Silicon Valley, like boys, men. Uh, so what's on my mind? I sort of feel like 
a cross between driving Miss Daisy and Hal from 2001. And, you know, on that topic of white 23 young males in Silicon Valley, one of the things that's on my mind, I've been totally fascinated with the fall of FXT and uh, Sam Bankman Field. I think I've got his name correct. SBF, he's called. And I've been <laughs> I've been gorging on podcasts. And I, I listen to this fabulous podcast called um, Behind the Bastards. And uh, they, they're wow. historians. No, they're, they're great. They're historians who, um, who uh, create podcasts around some of our great dictators in history or, or oh perhaps God. some of the people that, that – um, uh, really uh, have been villains in society, but they, they look at the history and they the criteria for being a topic on the podcast is that, you know, you, you've had to cause the destruction of, um, of institutions or people or millions of people. So, for example, at the moment, they're doing a series on Napoleon III, which I'm really enjoying. But, they, they, uh, but podcasters like that and, and, of course, news has all been about this fall of... Um, of this cryptocurrency bank in a way, this unregulated bank. And, um, but what was interesting about it was actually uh, this fellow who's actually in his thirties, he's just being charged. Um, his whole um, in narrative that he created in a way in social media and in politics, he was, sorry, speaking to people in Congress, in the States and Senate committees about regulating crypto um, currency, etc. But his whole philosophy, according to him and according to the, you know, in some ways the fantasy that, that he's created is that he was doing it um, in a for, as a form of altruistic utilitarianism, which in from his perspective is this principle that the best way to make a most positive impact in the world is to make, you know, a, a, an obscene amount of money, so billions of dollars, and give it away or give it to charities. But, of course, uh, it's the charities and the causes that he believes in are the most utilitarian. And so... Um, but Hang on, I'm fact- still stuck on your term... What did you say? Benevolent utilitarianism is that what altruistic you said? Utilitarian altruistic utilitarianism, exactly. And we, so and, yes. If you're a util, you, oh god, I can't even pronounce it. Uh, you, utilitarianism. Yeah. Oh so god. if you're a utilitarian, if you like, what does that mean? So you, the the philosophy of utilitarianism says that that we can judge, we can weigh things up according to uh, their benefits to society. So, that, so for example, the, the, the greater good outweighs the, um, the individual perspective. Uh, so that's a utilitarian. So Spock so the on Star Trek. the justifying the means. Exactly. Exactly, with a, Ian. With a good and that's hat the on. problem. That's the problem. And, um, and, and he just had, you know, all of these uh, investors uh, really fooled. A lot of the problem is with this uh, particular fall of this currency exchange was that there were some normal people like you and me who were starting to tr- to you know use the platform. So it wasn't just um, kind of investors who were taking great risks. It was you know because they had some celebrities who were vouching for this platform. And in fact, the celebrities are now facing some charges, which is interesting. So um, so I'm watching this space. 
for me, it's it's very much another story like the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. And Elizabeth Holmes has just yes. been sentenced to 11 years in jail for fraud and a whole lot of other charges. And so it's fascinating to me because it's this, it's this cult of uh, young entrepreneurial spirit whereby you can throw out the rules and there are no consequences but actually there are consequences and so it, there's this balance that i you know i don't want to react like an old fuddy-duddy that says oh you know we need to you know stop these people from breaking from doing things differently because i i'm very entrepreneurial in my outlook i really believe that there are some things that we do particularly business processes that we that we have that we probably don't need to need to do in the same way however the problem is you have what you do is once you throw out these checks and balances there are no checks and balances <laughs> and so you get these individuals who are very young and um who are likely to perhaps you know why would they have a uh, an ethical bone in their body you know why would we expect silicon valley to be ethical why would we expect young entrepreneurs to be ethical um, so that's the problem. So that's what I'm, I've been thinking about. In my mind's eye, I'm I'm going back to science fiction shows and and historical dramas where the young king or queen is mentored by wise older people who have been around the block six hundred times and actually do their best to guide a young brain into making decisions that are informed by wisdom. And it seems to me that some of these folks. Um, and I'm trying not to sound like, you know, the grout, the grouchy, shriveled up, ancient, <laughs> spent, <laughs> grumpy can, old you man. You can add some more adjectives <laughs> to that. <laughs> it's just the, just the end of 2022, bear with me. Um, but I, I wonder whether, these, whether there's a form of groupthink where um, a whole lot of young people that maybe have lost touch with elders and elder wisdom are launch themselves into the abyss and take a whole lot of people with them. That's such a good point. And I think because it, because the, the reverse was true in a way for both of these people in that they did have perhaps older, wiser people who who actually were beguiled by them because, because of this uh, cult of the young entrepreneur, of, mm-hmm. you know, the superstar entrepreneur. So, so for example, in Theranos and, and particularly in this FXT, um, organization they had investors putting in millions of dollars and these investors are older and wiser but uh-huh. they weren't necess- they were they were they were blinkered in terms of their own due diligence processes because of a bit of fomo i think you know um you know there's this there's this kind of attitude that you you're missing out and and perhaps this is the next big thing and we can take a risk on it and i think that that's actually um you know i there's nothing wrong with taking calculated risks, but we can't be blinkered. Those due diligence processes, those rational um, sequences that we go through to make decisions um, can actually be helpful because they they help us to, at times, really work against some of our biases. And I think there's a lot of, yeah, there was a lot. I, for one, for example, had a bit of FOMO around cryptocurrency because I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't invest in cryptocurrency, but I kept looking at it thinking, oh, this could be the next big thing. Maybe I should be in it too. And um, and I think that what we're seeing now is that the risk 
level is higher than what we're being told around cryptocurrency and that's appropriate. There's an ATM for cryptocurrency withdrawals down at my supermarket. Like, what the hell is that? That's an. <laughs> what do you put into it? <laughs> and does we, it look we, at your eyeball? Does it does it read your face and spit out some money? What what does it do? So that's where you're translating Bitcoin to actual dollars, and it's, you know. Yeah. But I I know it's it's well I'm sure that people would have felt like that you know older people older than you and I, would have felt like that when the first ATMs came around and started spitting out But I mean, as well. if you need to, to use an ATM to, to withdraw cash from a Bitcoin machine, it's sort of like going from 21st century technology to 20th century. Like, why would you need cash anymore? Like, what what's the point? That's right. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the... Uh, a lot of these e-commerce platforms uh, have a lot of potential to service people in in countries where uh, there's a there's a lot of poverty and uh, where perhaps uh, you've got you haven't got the um, institutions the trust in institutions so for example in Australia we're lucky to have quite a good regulated banking industry although that you know we we had some failures there um, a few years ago mm. but but you know obviously we have a more trusted um, set of institutions than some some other countries so. So in some ways, Bitcoin and those e-commerce um, or e-currency, I should say, platforms were touted as perhaps a solution uh, to those to, to so that people can transact, can have faith that, um, you know, they'll have um, that their money is, is actually that is, is retaining some kind of value. So so that was that was, I think, you know, perhaps there's still some potential there. Um, but I agree. I agree. It's um, it's a. You know, it's a it's a new world like the AI world. So so interesting. Mm-hmm. So Ian, what else are you thinking about? What else is on your mind? Um, well, it's sort of these are all the things on my mind are kind of linked to the brave new world. I yesterday, I went to a meeting in a co working space in a in the city, a start a startup incubator, and again maybe it was just because it was Christmas time, but it was packed full of young folks who were all apparently starting stuff up and it was just amazing i think there was one other person there of my age range and i almost wanted to rush up to him and cling on to him for support i felt (laughs) it's um i think what's on my mind is um and i mean we've been you and i've been talking about wise older workers and wisdom and um intergenerational mentoring and all of these fantastic things that come out of people from all ages working together um, but I, di- I have to say, I did, go- I did feel a-, a sense of future shock when I went into that meeting yesterday. And I mean, I read Alvin Toffler's book, Future Shock, when it came, well, not when it came out, but in the 80s. Um, he put that book out 50 years ago now. It probably reads like something out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's probably completely unrelevant. But I- there was one book that I read 20 years ago by um, a science fiction writer and sociologist from Melbourne, actually, called Damien Broderick, who put out this book in 1999 called The Spike, um, which is the shape on the graph of the singularity when artificial intelligence takes us off the chart. Yes. And he talked about... 20 years ago, really, that he wrote that? Yes, it is. I saw him speak in Melbourne. He he came wearing dark sunglasses and a black leather jacket. I remember that. Um, He was ahead of his time. Um... 
But uh, he talked about the, the, the humanity moves from the human phase of evolution to this transhuman phase where we start to embed artificial intelligence. And he was talking about nanotechnology and AI and all sorts of things. I mean, again, 20 years later, it's almost worth rereading the book. But then he talks about this post-human phase where um, people, where consciousness exists as a free-floating entity online. And I have to say, the last few days I've had a taste of that, I think, of the transhuman phase. And it brings up all sorts of issues about social justice, social equity. Um, and I think the Elon Musks of the world, I have read that there are people extremely obscenely wealthy people who have made all their money by exploiting like when i think about jeff bezos's ex-wife giving all the way a lot of money that's great but when i think about it the workers at amazon have paid for that by by having to pee into a plastic bottle because they're fired if i mean it's obscene right it is obscene um so it's a redistribution, but I just wonder why it's left to the oligarchs to do that. But there are people building underground bunkers in places like New Zealand, which are meant to be for the super wealthy to live after the apocalypse. And um, I feel like that was—I I feel like that's part of the transhuman phase of extremely privileged people preparing for some post-dystopian world where AI may or may not save us from ourselves um but it's this extreme form of social discrepancy between the one percent or the point zero zero one percent and the rest of us schmucks that are cleaning up the trash for them that's true and fighting over the crumbs right that's right that's right and i guess um yeah and i guess the only the trend that i think is an interesting trend that might go against that uh continuing is the the rise of populations in countries where you have um, you don't have that kind of wealth, uh, and um, but you still in those countries you still have um, that dis, you know that discrepancy between um, social classes and between economic status. But you have the populations are large there, and the the birth rates are greater than in other countries. So. It's interesting, but you're right. I, I think we are, we would definitely, you know, maybe we're seeing some kind of post-human phase here already in terms That's what of I'm consciousness. Thinking. Um, but yeah. also not just in consciousness in the digital form. I think that a lot of people are interested in consciousness per se in terms of in the human form or in the spiritual sense. So I've been, the other mm-hmm. thing I've been thinking a lot about and reading a lot about is the um, use of psychedelics in um, treating mental health disorders, etc., and part of that is actually releasing the ego through the experience of some kind of transcendent um, consciousness that that we create that within ourselves. So, so, so that's a kind of bio, you know a chemical reaction that causes that. So I get that every morning with my first coffee, but I never. <laughs> <laughs> it's never as good for the second time. No, it's just that's the first right. one. <laughs> So, so there's some interesting work being done. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's some really uh, important research being done, for example, at John Hopkins on, on this in terms of effects. And, um, and of course, it's being done in a controlled environment, um, you know, to maintain safety uh, of the, you know, of the patients and, and uh, et cetera. But 
I, you know, I think that's fascinating. I think that, that in, in other words, where our mind goes in terms of that, the expansiveness of our mind as consciousness is interesting. My work over the last few years has tapped into uh, notions such as the smart cities approach or movement. There are so many cities style endeavours, healthy cities, child-friendly cities, age-friendly cities, eco-cities, resilient cities. But smart cities is about using smart technology to build better places. And I, I remember I was at a, a UN workshop uh, in KL a few years ago and people were extolling the virtues of smart cities. And I, I got up and said, look, I know quite a few people that are smart, but they're not very kind. Um, for me, the idea of having a smart city is that it embeds kindness and um, social inclusion and fairness. Um, and I'd like to think that a free-floating AI that exists on the web as an intelligent... <laughs> nat- oh, sorry, I feel like I'm having flashbacks to the end of 2001 now, the baby appearing outside of Earth, you know, like the end of that movie. Um, like, is it possible to have a consciousness that's generated through AI on the web that's actually in, that's deeply mm. embedded with moral reasoning and a sense of social justice? Or is it just some brutal form of intellect that's devoid of any empathy? And uh, a lot of... That's a really good question. And I think we have to maintain debate around these questions and particularly... Um, you know, we, that's where we need our philosophers to, in, to you know, really be engaged, and they are engaged. And I would love to see uh, critical thought and philosophy being taught in high school. You know, to, in that case, absolutely. You know, uh, because I think that you, I, I studied, I did a major in philosophy at university, and I was probably one of the second last cohorts to do that. The universities in Australia don't teach philosophy uh, like that mm. anymore. You, we've turned our higher education system into a vehicle just for vocational studies and um and while Mm. there are other you know there are pockets where we are still um perhaps you know teaching and doing research in pure knowledge um that's that's not the majority of what's happening in higher education and you know um and kindness is a is a really beautiful kindness and compassion is a really beautiful concept a lot of leadership thought is going to that you know mm-hmm. there are uh, and and some of the work that i do particularly um particularly with Justin co the work that i do with them is about compassionate leadership and and how do we build that that capability in organizations so i think we're uh it's it's not we're not devoid of those conversations uh, in, particularly when we think about organizations and leadership um but it's really you know where do we you know we, we really need to continue that uh, and and apply those principles um in in these other areas too so they're they're presented as opt-ins or externalities to higher education now where um an economic rationalist worldview doesn't see um helping people learn how to be good thinkers or to be creating a good society which is what philosophy is kind of about that stuff is not valued and so you end up with a whole lot of people with degrees who don't know how to think critically and to interrogate what they think they're seeing and hearing. And it's certainly not grounded in any lessons from history. So um, we go and recreate it all over again. <laughs> so, so 
Um, one of the other things I'm thinking about, Ian, just in, and again, we're talking about, I think today's, we're sort of talking a lot about injustice and inequality. I've just um, finished writing my book on women and power. Mm. So I'm thinking a lot about gender politics and in particular about how we can do power differently um, and particularly from a more feminine perspective. But in that context, I'm also thinking about the use of binary terms because I do talk about women in the book. I do talk mm -hmm. about femininity in the book and that comes from my reading and research on gendered psychology and so i i i separate out biological sex from gender identity and and i'm just curious about whether i'm perpetuating a binary system in doing that still um and so i'm asking those questions and in particular i was talking to some friends of mine who are in um education and they're um, having to, you know, rewrite their educational materials, their training materials, and remove those um, gendered pronouns from those materials. Mm. So that's kind of something I'm. I think in this space we have to really keep um, saying we don't know because it's new. It's new to me, and I'm I'm I, I'm always questioning whether whether I'm, you know, perhaps whether my biases are coming into play or whether I'm perpetuating a bias. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, when I started doing my undergraduate studies in the 1980s, um, I think pretty much every text that I read had the default setting of the male pronoun. Absolutely. And I remember the discussions we had in social psychology about the, the, the complete... Um, Dis, uh, dismissal of, of a woman's perspective and so we then started talking about he or she and now we've evolved to this next stage of they um, it's interesting because I mean the English language has had the pronoun of they forever and it was always intended if you see someone in a distance and you your binary yes. brain hasn't decided if they're male or female you refer to them as they that's right and, and I wonder whether it's linked <laughs> to that old fashioned uh, English around thou you know, as well. So I think that they, that we, we've had that. You're right. We have had that in the language, absolutely. So it's not something we have to recreate. We don't, we're not recreating words, but it is a bit, um, it is a bit, you know, obviously it's something we have to relearn and we have, we have to be aware of. So I'm thinking a bit about, a bit about that. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about, Ian, is just at this time of year in terms of how we're feeling. And, um, you know, particularly coming into the end of the year, there's a lot of discussion for me around um, mental health, isolation, burnout, exhaustion. And, and, you know, at this time of year, I think we feel that. And, uh, and I think that, that families are coming together um, at this time of year and they can exacerbate some of the conflicts and some of the issues there. So I'm thinking about all of that at this time of year. It is a very difficult time of year for me in a way and a lot of people, I think, so. Oh, it, look, it highlights the conflict between families of origin, families of choice, um, unresolved issues, uh, one's inner three-year-old self usually throws a tantrum at 3 p.m. on the afternoon of Christmas Day. 
Yes. <laughs> um, actually, just before you before we go on, I I just have to say there's a fantastic Twitter account for God on Twitter. It's a parody. But God's oh. pronoun, pronouns are thee and thou. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> thee and thou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love so I hope, all, and it's funny because God on Twitter occasionally um, calls out BS from the evangelicals who are anti, uh, you know, they're completely binary and fixated on some handmaid's tale version of gender identity. Yeah. But he, um, God calls out these folks on their Twitter account, um, which is fun. Um, it's interesting because I, I imagine Elon Musk's Christmases are probably quite fraught. Um, I mean, he's been on Twitter, um, again, driving discussion, rallying, the, the throwing red meat to the Trumpers about his anti-trans rhetoric, but he, in fact, he has a trans child. So the... Um, the emotional impact on that young person must be quite profound. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Christmas families. Um, I mean, I, what I love about the American Festival of Thanksgiving, um, admittedly it's Thanksgiving on the part of the white pilgrims who <laughs> removed First Nations from their land, but it is about giving thanks. And I. Um, so what's on my mind? I, th- I think at this end of a quite a challenging year at a very deep existential level um i mean what i've experienced is um attempting to create my own third act as someone having been privileged enough to reach a certain age um where i want to have a meaningful contribution to society still make some money but i I mean, my father retired at 55 and I can't even imagine what that must have been like That's for really him. young, isn't it? I know. I mean, he's still involved in actively in community life now. He's about to turn 91, but his, his, you know, his professional life ended very young. Whereas I was talking to someone in the recruitment industry just the other day who said um, that for them, um, late 50s is mid-career in this new world. Um, but try telling that to a 22-year-old HR consultant who who would see anyone as older than 30 that, you know, they couldn't possibly be relevant for any job. And it's the ageism that's layered on with this crazy frenetic uh, recruitment sector where people don't read resumes anymore, they don't read cover letters, uh, it's all pumped into a computer that reads it through an algorithm... Um, I mean, I just had the feeling that recruitment's gone in, gone to hell in a handbasket. And but I want to say there is a really great organisation called Jobs for Humanity, for example, and they are one of me of of a few organisations like this that are wow. actively, uh, and and they actively pull together recruiters, and they are actively matching jobs with people who have diverse abilities and neurodiversity as well so they are doing it they are doing it so i think that you know with anything there's a reaction um yes there's a gap and then yes these beautiful people like jobs for humanity that um that fill that that gap but i i wanted to end i suppose um something that i'm feeling or thinking at the moment is this sense of gratitude i mean i 
as we've talked about today, to my handle on technologies, it, it now feels fairly primordial. But I do have a LinkedIn account, and I, I did use um, lockdowns during COVID to do some self-publishing, and people did see it. And it's it resulted in me being invited to speak earlier this week at um, at a public event organised by the architecture company called Six Degrees. Um, and it was about the architecture of belonging, and it's completely in my bailiwick. And I got to be on stage with these amazing people, a festival director, a First Nations architect, um, a woman that does really vibrant community building, rehabilitating industrial places and turning them into loved places. Um, And... uh, yeah, it was just the most remarkable event, and it was held in the M Pavilion in Melbourne's Botanical Gardens, which is a an open air oh, pavilion. Oh, that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful venue. It is, unless it's twelve degrees with horizontal rain, which is what we had the other night. I mean, climate change has produced this unbelievable Arctic uh, blast, uh, as anyone in Melbourne and Tasmania can attest to. Uh, and it's interesting because our discussion went very deep and I think um, amidst all this um, flurry, a very superficial transactional uh, communication between people, such as in the in the recruitment sector, you have these incredibly thoughtful people that are doing incredibly thoughtful work and actually using social media to find each other. Exactly. And, um, that's really inspired me. It is amazing, yeah. yeah. So amidst of all my kvetching, I actually have found some really amazing people. <laughs> That's fabulous, Ian. It always, it always, I always love to hear your kvetching. <laughs> you can always come out the other end. But yes, thankful, thankful at this time of year is, is yes, you're right. I mean, I've, I've had a really busy year, but I'm also really thankful for the busyness because it was, you know, I've been, this is the second year of my business and it was really the first year that I felt like I was in business. So, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And I, I'm, um, and also very grateful that I, I was able to give myself some time to do some writing, which is, you know, culminated in this book. And so, you know, in some ways I think that, that, you know, I look around me and I've, I've got some incredible people around me as well. So, you know, there's always that, isn't it, at the end of the year? But I, I agree with you. I think we've got to we've got to go to gratefulness. There's one other shout out I want to give, which is to Stephen Johnston at Ford Castle, who found me through LinkedIn, and he's the entrepreneur startup genius that I've met, who's introducing me to this whole world of AI, and it's it's just amazing, and I'm very grateful. It gives me a chance to learn yeah. from him. Maybe we should get him. Would he talk to us on the podcast, do you think? I reckon he would. All right, mate, let's see if we can do that. So next year, what are you looking forward to, Ian? Uh, I guess I'm looking for work that allows me to dive even deeper into the things that I'm passionate about. And um, I'd like to think that this last two or three years (laughs) is leading somewhere. Like like, uh, just this week... Um, a book proposal that came out of the LinkedIn um, blog series that I wrote, I was invited to turn into a book. And I've spent the last 18 months slowly but surely 
putting together a, an amazing cast of contributors um, and the second draft of that proposal was just accepted by the publisher and the series editor Fantastic. this week uh, and it's now going out for review um, and I'd like to think that next year will be spent actually producing that book um, and in terms of wanting these challenging few years to lead somewhere I mean I know I feel it's a very privileged position for someone I mean I'm not in a refugee camp wondering if I'll ever get out I'm not on Manus Island um, I'm not stuck in some dilapidated rundown housing estate that's been deliberately underserved because it's in a safe seat electorally like you know I think it's really important to give thanks and I know that a lot of people are paying um, a lot of people have helped me get where I am without me even being aware of it and that's because they, they don't have access to the things I've had access to so I, it's important to put one's own whinging into perspective but um, you know I suppose I've spent my life wanting to do socially useful things and when there's a when I've now come up against institutional barriers to that it's it can be quite frustrating but I'd like to think that whatever it is that I've been going through like all tests of resilience and courage and endurance and character building I mean I'm not the first human to have to you know spend a bit of time trying to work out what the hell's going on yeah exactly um, exactly you know, and and I, I always say this, and it's so simple, but I always say this, contrast makes us stronger. And I, you know, I have this, I, I'm actually, this is why you and I are so great together, Ian, because I am the eternal optimist. So <laughs> not to say that you're not optimistic, but I think I have a bias towards optimism, which is off the scale. Um, but my life has been like that too. All of the troughs end up in, you know, hills and... Um, I think if we were in the Star Trek original series, you'd be Captain Kirk and I'd be Bones. <laughs> That's what I've just yeah. Okay. Bones Bones True. was the passionate yes. Bones was the passionate, you know, uh, doctor with anger management issues, and uh, Kirk was the. Um, and um, Kirk always Kirk always said, "Don't worry, Bones, it'll get done," and he had no idea. <laughs> I was going to get done. That's right. That's right. But I loved loved Bones because he actually was an optimist too. He just, um, he just, he probably didn't get the pony he wanted when he was six or something. And, um, you know, we've all got those childhood resentments that we hold on. I'm I'm the middle child. Oh, you're a middle child too, aren't you? I am a middle child. Oh, we're both middle children. There you go. Yes. But I think sometimes, I think psychologically, I'm probably the eldest. But (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, going into Christmas, um, I'm um, what I'm looking forward to next year is working, working my business so that I'm not working horrendous hours or I'm not feeling harried and busy. So I would like to have my mornings to myself. So I'm I'm. I'm looking at how I can structure my day. And part of that is, you know, delegating. I'm putting on a full-time assistant next year Mm -hmm. um, to help me do that because I've, that quality of life is really important for me. And so, um, so, so for me, it's, it's really, you know, asking those questions about what do I need? What do I really want? Is it really about, 
doing more and more and more or is it about doing those things to your point those things that really make a difference where you're really making an impact and yes. focusing on those things so for me i'm saying no or uh, and or delegating so i'm still in the process of doing that i'm doing some work with my coach i'm i'm creating um, plans around that and i'm looking at software i'm looking at ai to see how ai can help me there's some platforms that for example help you do some writing and then you're left with the editing i'm looking at wow. all of that yeah because i'm i i still want to to be out there putting some you know writing in the you know in the metaverse but i'm you know if i have to do it all it means that i'm a very busy person You've always been an early adopter with tech. And I think if I have a news resolution, it's to kind of, I don't know, try to be really open to it. Um, I sort of go into this, like I had a bit of a brain spasm yesterday when I saw the extent of, of what's going on. Like it was quite a, it just blew me away. Yeah. Um, you know, do you have a news resolution? I do actually. In Well, I, I probably will have a few more, but... Uh, the the news resolution for me is set my mind to receive. Oh wow! Yeah. So because I think that a lot of the time, I feel like I need to do and give and be something for someone else, and I'm mm-hmm. I want to make more time to receive, and that's partly you know what you've done receive in terms of learning, um, receive in terms of. Um, also in terms of just acknowledgement and recognition, but but definitely receive uh, information and be open, be open to the things that maybe I've been too busy to to spend some time in or, or um, too anxious about getting things done to really sit with. So that's my news resolution. Oh, wow. What about that's you, Ian? One. Oh, God, I sort of feel like it's too early. I... Um... I've been sitting in such an existential funk. Um, one thing I learned during the week was the importance of gratitude as a way to sort of deal with um, the anxiety that comes with trying to find one's path. Um, and I think it's a little bit like you. It's being not only just open to receiving, but um, I suppose grateful when those things happen. Um, it's almost like we don't need our own KPIs for each day just to acknowledge the great things that have happened. Exactly. And I, I'm, I'm often aware that how quickly each day flies past and I'm aware that it's a day that I'll never get to experience again. And yes. um, wherever possible, as the day draws to a close, I give thanks for it and try to remember all the, the good things that happened. Um, so I want to be more present for that. Yeah, that's a good one too, Ian. Well, we've been speaking for a while, so we might close the discussion. And um, and I want to um, just take a moment to wish everyone well. I'm, I'm so happy that um, we've been able to present some um, interesting discussions for you this year. We'll have some more interesting discussions next year. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. And of course, if you've got any topics that you'd like us to cover next year, um, I always leave uh, an email. Absolutely. In the show, so please let do us that. know. Yeah, and thank you, Ian, for joining me too in this season. It's oh, been, it's such been so a, much fun. Such a pleasure. Oh, great.
great. I know, because we have these conversations anyway, so we might as well. <laughs> 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 right, well, thank you.